Hi, I'm Sheila. And I'm Hope. And we're two teachers. Coming to talk to you about the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of teaching. Hello, everyone. And yes, your favorite podcaster is back to the Two Teachers podcast. That is so unfair. (laughs) That's right. I have decided to return and claim my crown. Just kidding. My mom did the episode last week. It was fantastic. And the guest episode was also great. But truth be told, I miss talking about teaching. Oh, no. Truth be told, you listen to those podcasts and thought about all the things you wish you had the chance to say. Oh, that's true. I did listen to my mom's podcast last week, and I found myself just inserting all of these comments. And so here we are. We're going to be talking about reading today. And I think that we've kind of developed our podcast into more of a conversational um, idea versus having scripted notes. So today, when we talk about reading, I'll be talking about high school reading in my English classroom, and my mom will be talking about reading for her gifted classroom. And really just reading in general, because it is my favorite topic. When it comes to teaching, I love teaching reading and writing. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think that reading is so important. And for my juniors, let's be honest, they don't love it. And that's okay. And I try to tell them that that is okay. But I do kind of force them to read. And sometimes you find out that they develop a love of reading throughout your class and sometimes they don't. But, you know, understanding that some students just genuinely hate reading. And it's so unfathomable for me. But trying to understand that can be so difficult as a teacher. That really bothers me. That makes me so sad. Because guess what I ordered for your brother before he went back to college? A book? Several. I ordered a boxed set. I can't even remember if that was like a Dune trilogy or something like that. And then he had another one he wanted me to order. He is taking a science fiction lit class. And he sounds pretty excited about it, and we had some good conversations. So to hear that some kids struggle with reading or don't enjoy it, it just really makes me sad. What percentage would you say, like of of a normal class, an average class, what percentage of your class does not enjoy reading? Oh, it's a huge percent. I I teach regular ed English. So honors English, IB English, you're going to see those those students that really love to read. My kids, you say, all right. 10 minutes of reading. I make my kids read for 10 minutes at the beginning of every class and there's some groans. But some kids really do enjoy it and they'll tell me about their book and I try to make it more about me than them. So I, I tell them like, okay, it's Mrs. Cloat's reading time, which by the way, y'all, my name has changed, which is an adjustment. So uh, if you hear Mrs. Cloat's instead of me referencing myself as Miss Bonner, it's because I got married. But I will tell them that that is my time to read and they need to sh- they need to be quiet. And they think it's I think they think it's kind of funny. Some kids think I'm being stupid. I don't care. I've read 3 books so far at the beginning of the school year. I'm on my 4th book and I enjoy that 10 minutes of reading. I get a lot of reading done. I get 70 minutes of reading because I have well, I guess it's more like 60 minutes of reading. So I get 60 minutes of reading every day and I love it. And They just have to deal with it. So what percentage of an average class would you say for juniors do not enjoy reading? I mean, it really depends on each class, but I would say over 50%. (gasps) Really? Oh, they hate it. And it's because they never were, they were never taught to love reading. I know when I was growing up, we read, we read 
all of the time, and I think that helped instill the love of reading. I mean, I have very specific reading, like memories of reading when I was in school, at home. I remember reading the seventh Harry Potter book, Deathly Hollows, in my eighth grade advisory class and crying. Mm-hmm. I remember reading Tuesdays with Maury and crying. I those memories are so strong for me and there's there's books that will ever forever hold a place in my heart I like to get books signed and most students see it more as a chore than they do uh, something for fun and that breaks my heart but I always try to tell them like this is what I like to do this is what I enjoy out of English and we're gonna do it so what's your first memory of reading or with books from your childhood Honestly, I remember we were sitting in your bed and we were, it's weird to think back to a time where I couldn't read, but I do remember looking at the books and learning how to read. Mm -hmm. Those like very short books that would be like, the cat does this, or the cat Mm -hmm. sat on a hat. Like Mm -hmm. those, I don't remember what books they were. They were like beginning reader books. They do not make them anymore. Mm. Because the cool thing about those were they had four stickers for each book. And mm-hmm. every time I remember you the stickers. It, you got to put a sticker in the book, and then when you had your four stickers in, you got to go to the next one. And that was sight words. And that was such a, like, that's a hazy memory for me. Like, I remember. Oh, really? It's. That was four years old. I, and I remember, that's probably one of my earliest memories, besides my brother being born and me crying when I found out he was a boy. Like, those are the two memories that stick out in my head. But I remember reading Junie B. Jones. I remember reading Harry Potter. And I remember reading being, like, a special time with mom growing up and I've already told my husband like we are going to be reading to our children every single night from the day they're born and regardless. it's important daddies read to their children too right and I, I guess I don't really remember dad reading to me much I'm sure he did he did because I forced him I he wanted to get out of it kind of he's like no no that's what you do with the kids and I said no they have to have the role model of a man reading to them as well that was so important for Jacob but I I don't know that I've ever told you I kind of did an experiment with you and Jacob oh lord (laughs) okay Um, when I was teaching you how to read before you went to school I did phonemic awareness so do you have that that cookie sheet yes and it had the magnetic letters and we talked about the sounds for every letter, and we talked about the vowel circle, and that's because I was trained in Linda Mood, Phonemic Awareness, and it's really an amazing book, and it's a great place to start if you are a teacher, especially in the primary grades. It is an expensive book, but I went through four years of training with our school district, and so I experimented on Hope and had her learning the different sounds. It, it ties into kinesthetic so if you know if it's a p it's called a lip popper because that's what your lips do i remember that term yeah and um is it quiet or noisy well a p is quiet and you you listen and you hear touch your vocal cords um so it, it ties in so many things but i did phonemic awareness with you and then i did the sight words with jacob i just did sight words because he caught on to sight words so quickly and what I'm going to tell our listeners is you need to do the phonemic awareness because you have the ability to sound out words so much better than Jacob did, although you're both strong readers. Oh, well, Jacob used to say, like, teeth. He had a really hard time with his THs. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, honestly, if you end up being the main babysitter daycare for my children, you'll probably have them reading before 
anything else. It'll be a team effort, but I'm really lucky to have a mom who is a teacher who you are trained in the younger grades. Mm -hmm. I'm high school level. I say this constantly to people around me that I have a very strong belief on homeschool and I feel like where I thrive is at the high school level. I would feel uncomfortable homeschooling ages under that. Right. So I really do. I mean, I believe in the public education system. Obviously I'm a teacher. I do too. But I do think that, you know, my teacher did not know in kindergarten. I don't remember this very well. Kindergarten was kind of a traumatic experience for me, (laughs) but you tell me that my teacher didn't know I could read until my birthday in April. And I mean, that's, that's crazy to me. I, you know, I've, I've been with my students for two and a half, three weeks now. And I know so much about my students. The fact that my teacher did not know I could read until almost the end of the school year. Right. Blows my mind. And you were, you were young for the grade level as well. I was, I think you were like one of the youngest kids in the class and for your birthday, you got to share a book, and I purposefully sent in a book you could read and told you, read it to the class. Now, in contrast, Jacob's kindergarten teacher knew the very first month he could read. Well, you, but you also, like, told her, that you went in and said, look, this is my, like, my kid can do this. No, not in kindergarten. Really? I thought no. you went in to Miss no. Brady and you were like, this is what? No, oh. no. Third grade. I scared his teacher because I said, if you don't keep him busy, he will find something to do and you oh, won't like Well, him. Jacob used to get in a lot of trouble when he was in kindergarten. He, he was he was a little bit of a spitfire. He was like... I agree. Yeah. Don't tell too much. <laughs> the puzzle don't piece story. We will not air the dirty, dirty laundry. laundry. But uh, yeah, he, he knew how to read and his kindergarten teacher immediately could tell his level of ability. And first parent-teacher conference, you know, you've got a little bit of a problem when the teacher says, your child is not doing his best work. Yeah. I do feel like sometimes I do wish that you would have, I guess the problem is, like, sometimes I wish you would have let me go up a few grades so I could finish school earlier, but I do think that I would have been at a disadvantage because I was... (laughs) I did not know the things that these kids were talking about in middle school, let alone I would not have been mature enough to deal with the conversations that were being had. Sometimes I feel like I'm not mature enough to deal, I guess maturity is not the words, but like some of the things my students say in class, I'm like, oh my God, don't say that around me. You guys are gross. Like, yeah, well, when you were four, I took you to um, take your daughter to work day. And I had you down the hall, a couple of rooms, in a kindergarten room of a friend of mine. And she did... I remember that. You remember Mm -hmm. it? She did an around the world and asked the kids different things that were on the kindergarten report card. Well, at the beginning of the school year, I had asked her for the kindergarten report card so I could work with you on things in, you know, like kindergarten sight words and all that type of a thing. what What should you know for numbers, that type of thing. And she said... Sheila, she's ready for first grade. And I went home and talked to your dad and said, what do we do? And I didn't, I didn't know the answer to that, but we decided not to try to push it. You were young for the grade level. And I, my feeling is whenever you advance a child, this is what I've seen in my career. Whenever you advance a child and they skip a grade, that child becomes average for the grade Right. They're no longer advanced, which, yeah. And you really were a shining star. And I loved gifted my gifted program. I 
I mean, shout out to Miss Brinkmeyer. She was like a second mom to me for eight years. Mm-hmm. It's I guess it's difficult for me as a teacher because I see this the students that aren't excelling. I have I did a student interest survey and I asked, you know, what kind of books have you read before? And a lot of kids put that they haven't read since like fourth grade. They are juniors in high school and have not read for fourth grade since fourth grade. And part of my goal this year, and it's been my goal in the past years, but last year I will admit I don't know if I've said this before on our podcast, but I will admit last year was really hard. There was a point in my career that I really did think, like, maybe teaching isn't for me. I know you said that to me, and I gave you the advice that my son, her brother, gave me because I was having some of the same doubts. And he said, Mom, it's not a normal year. Wait till next year when it's when it's a little bit more normal. What well, you're used to. <laughs> Mom, I've never had a normal year. No, you really haven't. And so I don't. I something that I wanted to do since I was younger. This year has been the most refreshing year that I've had to date, and I just want my students to know that they're loved and they're cared for, and focusing on that versus grades. Because truth be told, these kids are they are far behind they are not at the level that they should be they've missed out on a year and a half of school of regular school and they are not at the caliber that they should be and so the in my eyes I think that you know the most that I can do for them is one make sure they know that they're loved and two I'm trying to instill the love of reading for them and it's hard they don't love it and that's okay but I try to act like it's like the best thing in the world to me and I talk about my books that I'm reading and I act so excited and I'm sure they think I'm just corny and they don't think that I'm cool at all but you know when when you have kids say I haven't really read a book since fourth grade do you ask them why oh yeah and usually I ask them okay well why not well I know that my teachers like the teachers before me are making them read I know that all of these things are happening but they they pardon my French but they bullshit it they Uh. look up what they can on the internet in the age of the internet you can find almost everything online. Yeah, it's true. I'm not going to lie. I, I will argue that teachers make the worst students sometimes. We love to learn, but sometimes we, because we love to learn, we also know the easiest outs. And so in college, I would, Quizlet was my best friend in some cases because professors were not actually giving you content to learn. They were having you regurgitate information. Mm-hmm. And I hated that. I hated busy work. But students nowadays are the same way in high school. And I will always tell them, I know your tricks. I am not going to give you an answer that you can find on Quizlet. Good for question. I am not going to give you a question to this book that you can surface level Google or, you know, find on SparkNotes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem with the education nowadays and with reading is that an English teacher is expected to teach reading We're expected to have whole class novels. We are expected to teach literature, but it's not stuff that students can connect to. Ah. So, for example, and listeners, I'm sorry, you might really love Into the Wild by John Krakauer. My kids hate it. They hate it. I've never read it. You started to read it, and you started to make post-it notes for me and, like, read it first before I did, remember? Uh Yeah, I kind of remember. I Why did I stop? Because it was awful. <laughs> I it's, believe it. It's not my favorite book. And I would rather read March by John Lewis, but it's currently in the process of being approved. And we are having issues in our school district with race. And that's a whole nother podcast. Let me tell you what. Be careful there. Yeah. We have all of these things that we're facing. We are talking about conformity. And 
that's another thing is these students are not being they're not being exposed to texts other than a white man yeah i don't like that at all i love the great gatsby fitzgerald Mm -hmm. white man Mm -hmm. i love reading like harry potter white woman at least it's a woman at least it's a woman but we are not getting diversity and so for the first book that my students read i push them and i say okay go find a book that's diverse to you what do you usually read? And that's one of their first activities is filling out a form that says, okay, I usually read, for example, a lot of kids really like sports books. Mm-hmm. A lot of boys do. Yes, they do. And so I tell them, okay, find a female author, author with something that's other than a sports book. Mm-hmm. It could be an action-packed book. It could be all of these other options. Kids just do not have the stamina to read an entire book. No. Do you do you ever use graphic novels? I am actually reading March by John Lewis, which is a graphic novel. And I joke with my students. I read Love Letters to the Dead for my first book this year. Great book. Highly recommend it. Then I started reading March, which was talking about John Lewis's experiences for the civil rights movement, which I did not know a lot of that information. Really? It's a graphic novel. He was in the legislature, and he was, yeah. like, famous for his civil rights. Oh, well, yes, but I did not know all the details of, like, the Freedom Riders. Mm-hmm. I did not know the details of everything that they were put through. Now, was that ever uh, just a regular book, or was it always a graphic it, novel? He partnered with somebody who made a graphic novel. So that's the, the first and only form yes. of the book. Okay, gotcha. And it's a set of three. I actually had it donated to me through my Amazon wish list. So that was awesome. And I'm reading, I'm almost done with the third book. And I told my students, you know, this is great. And I would really like to use this as for my conformity unit. Mm -hmm. However, the only approved textbook for this unit are written by white men. It's, you know, into the wild. And my students don't love it. It's not, I don't love it, to be honest. And so it makes it hard to teach. Right. And I want to teach, ideally, things that students enjoy. And so my first book project you know, picking something that's diverse to them, I did have students go and pick different books. Now, if they're actually reading with those 10 minutes, you know, I'll be reading with them and try to be a model for them, but I will be looking at my book and I can see out of the corner of my eye a student that's hiding their phone behind their book. And I always kind of make a comment, still staring at my book, not staring down that student and say, you know, I can tell when you're hiding your phone behind your book or you know, guys, I really would like for you to be reading right now. And if you're talking, you're not reading. And so you're ruining my reading time. They seem to respond better to that than me trying to force them to read. A lot of teachers try to instill this love of reading, but they're not reading with their students during those 10 minutes. Right. Do you, do you have to teach comprehension strategies to some of your students? We teach thinking strategies when we're annotating. I love to annotate. And I think that it's one of the things that's helped me a lot in college. I've had two articles. I'm, I'm working on my master's, and I've had two articles that I've had to read and digest. Mm-hmm. And that's hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. With quantitative articles, I don't do numbers. I don't get that kind of research. I do better with qualitative. And so I sit through, and I print them off. Mm-hmm. And I sit through and I annotate them. Mm-hmm. And I write down, you know, next to them, like, what number do they correlate with the question that I'm being asked and how to respond to it. And I underline and I write comments. And it helps me so much. And so I use real world examples with my students when they annotate. And I say, you know, you're going to have to use this at some point, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. In college, if you go to college, if you go to a job, you're going to have to read something. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to be able to digest it and respond. And so 
I teach those thinking strategies to students of, you know, instead of just responding and annotating, at the beginning of the year, there's always students that always respond like, cool, I agree, for their annotations. And I really try to challenge them to think deeper. And a lot of these students, they recognize they're in English 11, they're not in honors, they're not in IB, they're not in the higher up classes, but they feel defeated. And I feel like I just want to make them feel like they are important. Right. Well, I think annotation should be taught in the intermediate grades in elementary. So third, fourth, fifth, I think they should be annotating. Now, we do it in nonfiction for sure and gifted. Do you do it with fiction, though? I've never really done it with fiction. Oh, you should. What we do more so, because a lot of times that's like a short story. And when we did that where we had a shared a shared text that was fiction, it was in the basils, you know, in the anthology, where it had several oh, okay. stories I put together. And so, it, I mean, to copy those stories off to annotate, that's not realistic for elementary. Uh, depending on what your district does, some elementaries are doing the Lucy Calkins uh, Reader's Workshop, Writer's Workshop. I so much believe in a shared text. I don't think you could have those deep conversations when everybody's reading something different. I agree and I disagree. So if you are giving your students, so let me, let me propose something to you. If you are giving, make sure you're thinking elementary, dear. Oh, see, that's hard, mom. We constantly struggle. Have you read anything from um, Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher? I'll be honest. Most of my reading right now is either self-improvement or teacher books. Well, this is a teacher book. It is Penny Kittle. I'm going to Google it to make sure I'm not... I am right. See, I got this. Um, Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher. I have these books if you want to borrow them. It's called 180 Days, Two Teachers, in the Quest to Engage and Empower Adolescents in Reading. And they do talk some about how you can engage readers at the younger level. Penny Kittle is huge for English. And they actually, Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher, I think it was at least Penny Kittle, uh, Blue Spring School District paid for her to come in and do PD last year. Mm -hmm. Or no, it was two years ago. I was super jealous. I would love to learn from Penny Kittle. They really try to strive for students reading for passion instead of for an assignment for busy work. Well, but I think that helps with like books that you could do as a shared text. Yeah. One of the one of the lessons I made up for third grade when I was working with third grade as enrichment was I pulled part of the book Wonder and that's I feel like that's a pretty powerful book and we used that to annotate and then we did leveled questions. Is that the book about the this child that had their face? Yeah. I have students, honestly, I mean, for third grade to be reading that is amazing because I have students who are at that level and they're reading that in my class. Okay, but remember this was enrichment for... for higher level. For high, high achievers. And we, we did annotate for like vocabulary. We did annotate for any questions they had or any things that were important. And then we flipped it over and we used... Questions based on several things. Bloom's taxonomy, on literacy skills, different things that I feel are important. Do you ever have them annotate like text to text, text to world, text to self? Actually, that's called Connections. Right, yeah. My very favorite book when it comes to teaching reading, and, and, and of course this is not going to help you with phonemic awareness or phonics or sight words, 
that my very favorite book is Strategies That Work by Stephanie Harvey. I love this book. I got to see her in person. I had her sign it, and I have misplaced this book, and it's killing me. But one of the, her, fir, her first lesson, chapter six, is connections. And you're right, it's kids making connections to self, connections to text, and connections to world. And at elementary, they can easily make connections to self, but that higher level thinking comes in when you do text to text and text to world. My students really struggle with text to text. For them, again, if they haven't read a book since fourth grade, fifth grade, they're struggling with that. And I always have to go over with them, okay, text to text is not text within the text. Ah, interesting. They love to compare, well, this quote is with this quote. And although I tell them, okay, that's an interesting annotation, a text to text is connecting the text that you just read with another piece of text, whether that be an article or... Another book. Or a poem. poem. Yeah, yeah. And so that is something that they really struggle with. Um, Next week, we are actually doing a... They're going to get 10 poems from the Transcendentalist period, Romantic period, Mm -hmm. and they're going to sort them however they feel like they feel fit. Mm -hmm. So they can sort them into, like, conformity, whatever. I'm letting them choose their categories. And then they're going to annotate a poem. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually going to have them look for these connections, which they haven't done yet they've annotated just so I could see where their level is at and they annotated an article about why we should study English which Mm -hmm. I'm sure they rolled their eyes at but Mm -hmm. it's so important because English does not go away you still have to have correct grammar you have to speak in a manner that is appropriate for your job you have to do all of these things with English well and I feel like when you hear someone talk that kind of lets you know at what level they're performing at just from conversation. I never had to tell any of our friends how smart you and your brother were. They could tell it from having a conversation with you. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's important. I think that how one, how they carry themselves is so important. But with my students in particular, we, we focus a lot on grammar. They're about to take their ACT. I'm Mm -hmm. actually proctoring the ACT tomorrow. But they are focusing on grammar, we're focusing on decoding, and we're focusing on comprehension. And I, I think in elementary, though, if we did more work with connections, I think that would benefit all the way to high school. Yeah, I, I truly believe that. I wish that the earlier grades would do more work with grammar, with connections, because mm-hmm. I feel like when they get to me... They're really struggling with grammar in a lot of ways. They're great at commas. They've got commas down. Mm-hmm. When it t- comes to like independent and dependent clauses, when it comes to just being able to pick out nouns and verbs, sometimes mm-hmm. they still struggle. And mm-hmm. I think that might be part of the fact that we've been, you know, apart for a year and a half. We haven't had regular school. And I guess I don't really know what a normal year looks like and how they perform because. My first year of teaching, yes, we did some of it, but honestly, I was just trying to keep my head on straight. So, like, I would be wondering what grade level does that, like, what grade level really dives into, to me, it sounds like you're diagramming a sentence. Well, honestly, I feel like it shouldn't just be strictly one grade level. I think that that should be happening all the way through. I know, but, like, I'm wondering, is there any grade level addressing it? Because at elementary, when I first started teaching, we had a language book. Mm-hmm. We don't have that anymore. It's oh, we more, don't use textbooks. It's more of a whole language type of workshop model. And it's not um, per 
prescriptive in how you teach grammar, you know, the yeah. different rules for that. And I think we've really lost that in education. Oh, I completely agree. We don't have, I mean, we have grammar, not, I guess not grammar textbooks, but language textbooks, English textbooks. They're sitting in a room at our school not being used. And I have one in my room right now because I was looking at it due to some political things happening in our district and being able to choose approved texts. Mm-hmm. But I had never seen that book before. Someone pulled out of the closet and was like, here's your textbook for this grade. So why does nobody use them? Is it not good? Uh, you know, I think it's just outdated into what we've changed our curriculum to. I don't know that grammar has changed much, though. Right. I, I don't think that the... I It's full of a lot of texts. So I think that's the part that's outdated is that, yes, we're trying to move into more diverse texts, but... What's approved for us is The Glass Castle, Into the Wild, The Great Gatsby. We are not approved diverse texts. But that does not connect to grammar. What I'm saying is... You know, it could. I'm saying, why is this textbook not used? Maybe the textbook doesn't have, I guess, a ton with grammar. It does have some grammar. Okay, so the textbook is more than just grammar is what you're saying. Right, it's literature. Gotcha. Yes. So I think, but I think it's important for students to understand authors' style and how different authors write. Whenever students are looking at different dialects Mm -hmm. and how different people talk, I think it's important to recognize that different people have different dialects. But I think here's here's a point I would make is Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn, do a segment of those because if you've ever tried to read the whole book, it's really difficult because of the dialect. Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. I, I agree. So another comprehension strategy that's listed in strategies, strategies that work by Stephanie Harvey is questioning. How are your kids at questioning themselves? Like what's going to happen later in the novel? or I don't understand this piece and questioning different parts to try to get clarification. How are your high schoolers with that? Because I feel like questioning is a big part of comprehending and what natural readers automatically do. I try to have my readers look at questioning and whenever they don't understand something sometimes it's really hard there's different vocabulary terms they don't understand Mm -hmm. and I really try to get them to answer their own questions Uh so when they question something I ask them to do research now granted a lot of them are lazy and they don't want to do it okay let's let's calm down there well I mean I'm not students can be so bright but some of them are just honestly they don't want to go that extra mile well let's just say they're not putting the effort into it lazies same thing but they don't want to put the effort into finding that answer but I do encourage that I think my high schoolers the ones that are questioning are good readers they do that they add that extra step in and I will ask them questions they'll answer the questions it's so early in the year this year that I I don't necessarily know how this group of students act but I'm looking forward to seeing how they question is that something they annotate when you are annotating yeah so the thinking strategies I actually I think I could pull it up honestly I have a list of thinking strategies and and what's the resource for that in case some of our listeners want to go look that up because I would be interested in adding that to my toolbox of comprehension strategies I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on what type of skills the kids need to have in order to comprehend you know listeners if this 
is something you're interested in, I'm pretty sure you could Google thinking strategies. I have it from a, uh, another coworker. And the thinking strategies we have on posters in almost every English classroom is monitoring for meaning, so making sense of the words, applying the message, using and creating schema, so using and building background knowledge to make sense of the text, drawing inferences, so predicting, concluding, making judgments, interpreting, asking questions, so questioning the text for understanding and clarification, determining importance, so deciding what matters most, synthesizing information, so creating a new understanding from information, and then evoking sensory images, so creating mental images. And those are the thinking strategies we use in my district. So I'm seeing just a lot of different resources on the internet when I'm looking that up. I've, I've got one poster that says, question, summarize, infer, visualize, predict, connect. That uh, poster looks more elementary, but those are the main basis. Like if you look up the five critical thinking strategies, you're going to find analysis, interpretation, inference, explanation, self-regulation, open-mindedness, and problem solving, which is more than just five, but it's the key critical thinking strategies. So what you're calling it is five critical? Uh, seven critical thinking strategies is okay, what well, it is. Oh, seven? Mm -hmm. Well, that did pop up when I did a search. Seven critical thinking skills? Yeah, something like that. That looks familiar. For our listeners, my mom is Googling. I am Googling because you know what? I, I When someone talks about something, yep. is this it? That would be it. Okay, the first resource that's popping up is masterclass.com. When I did a search. I mean, that looks most familiar. And I think the critical thinking skills, is they're so important whenever you are reading and teaching your students and because you know what hope this is not something that we talk about in elementary but it's really important that we are focusing on the same thread of ideas critical thinking is is so important for kids and we need to start that in the elementary before they get to high school so they have some yeah. practice there i will tell you with gifted they come to us and they are so trained on trying to figure out what exactly do you want Instead of think about it, you won't necessarily get the answer the first time. You might have to put some effort into it. Those critical thinking skills, they don't, they they aren't highly developed. And yeah. so we need to do that for our high achievers and our gifted students because they're sitting in classes bored out of their skulls. So I'm going to do some more research on that on my own time, but I really appreciate you bringing that up. And I think teachers can really look into that and expand on what you're talking about. Yeah, I hope that some teachers decide to utilize that for sure. So I, I would say one of the higher skills when it comes to comprehension is inferring, you know, reading something in the text, putting that with what you know, and then coming up with, with information that's not necessarily directly stated in the text. Yeah, I agree with you on that. So how hard is it for your kids to infer what's going on in the text when it's not just clearly stated? They have to use the clues in the text and come up with that. I feel like as juniors, they do really well at oh, that. Good. I feel that they are able to draw those inferences. We're able to visualize and talk and we are able to reach that conclusion. I think it at junior level, they are able to reach that a lot easier than like your age group. Yeah, my particular age. 
Uh, yeah, elementary. Not uh, you. You're teaching age group. Well, another point, like you said, is visualization, and I think natural readers do that automatically. Who are good at good at reading in general, we make those pictures in our head, and we have those thoughts in our head about what the scene is. So I do think visualization is an important part, especially at the elementary level. I don't know that you would need that as much at the high school level. I would hope by then they're just automatically doing it. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part, I would say so. Another skill that's from the Strategies That Work by Stephanie Harvey and Avis. That's the second name on there, but I just met Stephanie Harvey, so that's I'm a big fan of hers. Is determining importance. And I think sometimes kids become confused on what's the important part of the story or what's the important part of the article. They get kind of lost in that. I think it goes around main idea or thing. Main idea, I think, is difficult for students to determine at any age level. When it gets to be more complex, it gets to be more difficult for them, and sometimes they shut down. But we're actually doing an activity where they pick out the main ideas here in a few weeks that I will be able to determine how they're doing at that. Do you ever have kids highlight? Oh, yeah. I do that with annotation. Highlight, annotate, post-it notes, it's all in. Do you ever have kids who want to highlight the whole text? No. They know better. <laughs> how, how do they learn that? To what? Know better? How do they know not to highlight the whole text? Because in elementary what I find is kids have never used a highlighter. I guess it must happen like middle school, early okay. early high school, because when they get to me, I don't see that very often, so I never really have to teach that. My students want to color with it sometimes. I mean, we have to have a whole discussion about how to use a highlighter. I don't want to see you writing with it. I don't want to see you coloring with it. And Oh, see, they, that's why I can't teach elementary school. I, I cannot. To, I have to model how to use the highlighter. That's, yeah. That is too much for me. I can't. I cannot go that far. With I, the... get, I, I get excited when I teach a kid how to. To use a highlighter? Well, because it's part of annotating. Well, and... that, folks, is the difference between an elementary school teacher and a high school teacher. If a student tried to color with one of my highlighters, we would be having a very big conversation on your junior. You know better. Yeah, you would. You Your head would turn all the way around. Oh, for sure. So Stephanie Harvey does have a good whole chapter on determining importance and I, like, I agree with Hope that a lot of kids do struggle with what's the main idea, what's important information, what are the supporting details. And I think that is a part of comprehension. So if you want your child or your student to be able to comprehend, some of those skills that we've discussed today are ones that you may want to bring into your classroom and really focus on. For elementary, I highly, highly recommend strategies that work. If you're interested in my handout, because I do have handouts. I am a handout queen. And what I did was I took those chapters and I just wrote kind of cliff notes or cheat sheets to them. So if you're interested in that, you can email me at Mrs. MRS dot Bonner, B-O-N-N-E-R, at Comcast.net, and I will be happy to send those to you. She is really a handout queen, y'all. She does love to share her They're resources. They're cute handouts. They are cute. She used to use, I remember when I was younger, she would use these, like, I don't know, clip art people that were so cringy. <laughs> they were, by that? They were so cringy. I would never use them. I mean, I do use fun fonts, but, like, at high school, my students would be like, ew. <laughs> like, I have two C. CDs. That's how old I am. CDs. I'm telling yeah. at least they're not on floppy disks. No. DJ Inkers. They have great fonts and great 
clip art. And they're They're adorable. cringy, y'all. They're cringy. They are not cringy. So cringy. Well, thank you for joining us today. I think we had some really natural conversations, some really good conversations about I, education and I totally eating. agree with you. Number one, this is one of our longer episodes. It is. I'm going to say the red wine may have helped. You know, I did do a wine walk last weekend with Bambi. Shout out to Bambi. Hey, Bambi. She is a seventh grade English teacher, um, and I love her. She was in my wedding. She's the best. So we did this wine walk, and we drank some red wine. I'm usually not a red wine person, but... As every teacher knows, wine is the teacher's best friend. Isn't it? That and a dog. And Marlo is right next to us, conveniently named after a wine. <laughs> I do have an announcement that I don't think I've made before. You're uh, pregnant. Your daddy and I adopted a puppy. She's too old to get pregnant, y'all. She's Stop it. She has had too much wine. And the puppy's name is Milo, so I'll post some pictures on our Facebook page when I share out this episode. I also want to give a shout out to... Sarah Torhune. I hope I said that right, Sarah. How do you not know her last name? She just got married like you did. Oh, right, right. Like, what, one week before I did? Two weeks before I did? I think two weeks before you did. She was a gorgeous bride, which I was not surprised because she's pretty much gorgeous every day. She is a sweetheart. And she posted on Facebook that she was listening to our last episode. So I wanted to give her a shout out because she is one of our loyal listeners and we seriously appreciate it. Yes, of course. We appreciate every single one of our listeners and I know you all are a small bunch, (laughs) but we appreciate every single one of you and hopefully we're going to go back to our normal weekly podcasting. No promises, y'all. I'm a busy gal, but we are going to try. We are going to try. We appreciate it if you follow us on Facebook. And on Twitter at Two Teachers Pod. And if you could subscribe to our podcast, we'd love it. Yes. And give us a review. Give us a five-star review. It would be a great help. You guys, it doesn't even have to be, oh, I love this podcast. You can give us an awful review, and it still helps us move forward. No, 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 no. Don't encourage that. (laughs) Give us a great review and then text me. (laughs) Like, text me your, your comments. Well, thank you for joining us. I've really enjoyed this visit. Yeah, me too. We hope to see you next time. Bye.